0: Mr. Chairman and Delegates, I accept your nomination for President of the United States. Madam Chairwoman, Delegates, I accept your nomination for President of the United States. Never new college graduate thought they'd have a good job by now. That dogged faith in the future which has pushed this nation forward even when the odds are great. This is when our nation was supposed to start paying down the national debt and rolling back those massive deficits. Over the next few years, big decisions will be made in Washington on jobs, the economy, taxes and deficits. A choice between two fundamentally different visions for the future. Now is the moment when we can stand up and say, I'm an American. I make my destiny. We deserve better. My children deserve better. We have been there. We've tried that, and we're not going back. My family deserves better. My country deserves better. And we're in this two-week series, Vote for Jesus. This is just a two-week series. It's over today. And the reason why it's over today is because next week it's not going to matter who you vote for. It's going to be over. Thank God. Amen. Amen. This whole season just gets you all worked up. and I, I have to admit, I have to make a confession, I'm a, I'm a news junkie. I watch Fox News, I watch C MSNBC, I watch CNN, I watch all of them and I just get so heated and, and so worked up and then I, I have to, you know, kind of ex- express myself. My poor wife has to listen to me rant on and on and uh, sometimes I just have to be told, you know, just relax. And so I'm going to preach that message to you today um, about our country. How do we change our country so that we can So that we can see the kingdom of God uh, come uh, on earth as it is in heaven. And if I'm preaching to anybody today, I'm preaching to me. Because I need this message. I need to know that beyond any shadow of a doubt, that God is in control of all that we see happening in our world. And so the title of my message, kind of a funny title, but I, I believe it's appropriate for today. If you're taking notes, you can fill in the blanks with us. Democracy needs a lot less demons. Democracy needs a lot less demons. Romans chapter 13, here's what Paul writes to the Christians in Rome. He says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Let every person. Who's every person? You, me, everybody. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, the people in power. for he is God's servant for your good but if you do wrong do not be uh, be afraid he says be afraid for he does not bear the sword in vain he is your he is the one I'm sorry he is the servant of God an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer therefore one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath but for the sake of conscience for the same reason you also pay taxes and everybody grunts for the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Let's pray. Almighty God, we humbly receive your word this morning we approach the truths that you hold in your word with humility and reverence and respect. I pray that our hearts will be opened and changed. I pray that our minds will be renewed and transformed. I pray that you'll give us a perspective of our world that is in line with yours, that we will not be tilted one way or the other, but we will honor Those to whom honor is due. Always knowing that you are enthroned above the earth, above the universe. Everything exists by your good pleasure. We respect you and honor you and glorify you. King of kings. Lord of lords. In Jesus' name. Amen. Paul is writing to Roman Christians. They're living under a empire. This is not a democracy. It's an empire. Caesar in this empire was not just in charge. He wasn't the president. He was the emperor and the emperor was to be worshiped. Okay. This is not a godly empire. Not only that, but they, they took crucifixion, which was invented by the Persians and they perfected it. They were brutal. They made crucifixion as horrible as possible To make sure everybody fell in line. They would strip you bare and hang you on the cross and leave you out there for up to a week while you just slowly decayed and died. These were brutal, torturous, heinous people. This was not a government by the people for the people. This was a government by Caesar for Caesar. And to this government, Paul says to Christians living in Rome, he says, be subject to the governing authorities. Do you understand this morning that God is big on authority? He is very big. On people respecting and honoring the authorities that are in place. As hard as that is to imagine in, in, in our country where we Christians might disagree greatly and strongly with what our leaders are doing, this nation under which the Roman Christians were living was far and away worse than ours. And yet God says it's still authority. It's still in place by my good pleasure. And I need you to respect it and honor it and also subject yourselves to it god is big on authority there's authority in the world governments and here in the context of romans he, he says look this is what government's there for it's there to make sure that the people do right it's there to make sure that there is order even when the government is evil the order that that government provides is better than anarchy God says, look, you got to respect that. you got to honor that. you got to subject yourselves to it. But there's a big difference between submission and obedience. Submission says, I will submit myself to what the government is and what they do. But obedience is, I'll do what they tell me to do. And there's only one area where God is okay with you disobeying your government. And that's when your government asks you to do something that God said you should not do. So though we live under the government of the United States, though we live under the auspices of our elected representatives, we are still subject ultimately to the word of God and we do what God's word says before what the government says, but we still honor the government and we thank God for the government because the government is God's instrument to keep order in a world where not everybody is Christian. Are you tracking with me so far? And so... Why? What, what are we going to do to change our nation? How are we going to take the demons out of our democracy? And, and i got four points for you. And all four points build on each other. And I'm going to present an argument. And I'm going to put the onus on the people that the onus de- deserves to be on for how our nation is going to change. We're going to have to understand four things. Are you ready? Taking notes. Number one, God rules. Understand God rules psalm 22 verse 28 it says kingship belongs to the what lord. to the lord and he rules over the Nation. nations psalm 97 the lord reigns let the earth rejoice let the coastlands be glad how many of you this morning are glad that jesus christ reigns amen, amen. god reigns the lord is over the nations first timothy 1:17, it gets as clear as it can the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only god. To him be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. In 1 Timothy 6:14, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, who is blessed and the only sovereign. He is over everybody the king of kings and the lord of lords who alone has immortality who dwells in unapproachable light whom no one has ever seen or can see to him be honor and eternal dominion amen, amen. that deserves a louder amen amen. Amen. <laughs> amen jesus rules jesus is over the government god has got it under control i say that because we have a tendency in this country to freak out when our guy doesn't win like some of you i'm praying for you really hard and and me too because if your guy doesn't win on wednesday morning you're gonna be like (sighs) Oh, what are we going to do? Oh, I know I've got relatives that will phone me up and say, this "Is it just a sign. Jesus is coming again. Can you believe it? I mean, here comes the Antichrist. I mean, it's just going to happen, right? Because we just kind of look at the government and we think they, they are in charge. And, but no, God is over the government. God rules. God rules. All right, here's what... Jesus said to Pilate, Pilate said, look, don't you understand? I have authority to crucify you, and I have authority to set you free. And Jesus didn't bat an eye. He said, you would have no authority unless it wasn't given you from God. You have no authority except what God has given you. Our government has no authority outside of what God has given to it. By the way, just so you know, God is able to use godless government. You understand what I'm saying? He's able to use for his purpose and for his glory even government systems that are not in line with his word. And he has done this over the history of humanity. It says about Pharaoh in Romans chapter 9. The scripture says about Pharaoh, for this purpose I raised you up. Think about this. God says, Pharaoh, I know you're wicked. I know you're evil. I know you're enslaving my people. But I've raised you up. I put you right here, right now, for this reason. How? For what reason? That I might show my power in you. And that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Why does government exist? The same reason why everything else exists. For the glory of God. You exist for the glory of God. We exist for the glory of God. This nation exists for the glory of God. The trees exist for the glory of God. The mountains and the lakes and the rivers and the solar system and the universe all exists for the glory of god and god alone all those things that we see are an understatement for who god really is and so government is used good government bad government god uses it and he brings about his purposes through even godless governments let's talk about rome for a minute Rome, again, I told you already, godless government. They worshiped Caesar as Lord. Uh, They extracted uh, insurmountable taxes, uh, subjected foreign nations to horrible levies and taxes. Uh, They occupied Israel. They dominated their opponents. They destroyed people, uh, ripped open pregnant women. I mean, they were evil. And yet God uses Rome to accomplish his purposes. Rome instituted something called Pax Romana. If you know anything about history, Pax Romana, Pax meaning peace, Romana meaning Rome. It was called the Roman Peace Period, and it started in 27 B.C. and went all the way to 180 A.D. And during that 277-year peace period, isn't it amazing that that was the exact period in which Christ came, was born, the church was begun... And the church spread out over the entire Roman Empire by the 3rd century, or excuse me, by the 4th century to the point that even Constantine, the Roman emperor of the time, converted to Christianity. And God's very... Uh, strategically and with all authority made this all to happen during a peacetime that if there had been wars and famines and national upheaval, it wouldn't have happened. God has everything in control. Always understand that. No matter who gets elected, God is going to use them. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 21, it says that the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. He directs it like a water course wherever he pleases. Another thing about Rome. Rome was the first nation to start building roads. And uh, we have this phrase, all roads lead to Rome. Where does it come from? It comes from the fact that the Romans established a system and network of highways, paved roads that you can still see in parts of Italy and the Middle East, where they just connected every municipality to every other municipality. And it was those roads... That God used to have Paul the Apostle and James and, and Peter transport the gospel from one city to the other, so that by the end of 3, by the time of 325 .AD, all of Rome, most of it, was converted to Christianity, and the emperor himself had to come to faith in Christ, not just for political purposes, but some, some believe, for actual spiritual purposes. So God uses the government. And so Paul says, you gotta understand, live in subjection. These people are not ultimately in control. You need to relax about this election. Whoever gets in the office, whoever becomes our president. You need to just chill out because God rules over everybody who rules. Like God, God's not up there going, come on, Romney. You know, he's not worried about this. Which everyone gets, you know what the, the Bible tells us to do? The Bible tells us pray for those who are in charge. For kings and all those in authority that we may live peaceful lives. This is good and it pleases God, our Savior, First Timothy chapter 2. And so God rules, number two building my argument. That's the foundation. God rules. Number two, God appoints those who rule. He says there is no one in place of authority that has not been instituted by God. So God puts people where he wants them. Daniel chapter four, verse 17, the most high rules over the kingdoms of the world. He gives them to anyone he chooses, even to the lowliest of people. God is in heaven like a master chess player putting all the pieces of our government in place. And he's making sure that they are in place at just the right time to accomplish his purposes. And so you need to understand that and have faith that whoever is in charge of our nation, God is ultimately in control of that situation. Now, when it comes to God's rulership, Amongst God's people, when when God's people have authority, there are stipulations. There is a higher standard. In fact, God gave this standard to the people of Israel while they were still coming out of Egypt. They roamed for 40 years in the wilderness. And in the wilderness, God says to them, Look, I know that you're going to ask for a king. You're going to get to the promised land and you're going to get fed up with being me being your king and you're going to ask God can we have a king of our own like all the other nations and he's I I I know what's going to happen because God knows the end from the beginning and so he tells Moses I want you to give my people some rules about the king that they select and those rules are found in Deuteronomy chapter 17 and in Deuteronomy chapter 17 God first starts off and he says the king that you choose he he can't amass for himself a bunch of horses why not because your nation is not going to rule by the strength of an army your nation is going to rule by the strength of the lord your god i'm going to be your defense i'm going to be your strength i'm going to be your army you that's enough and then he says number two the king is not to amass for himself many wives and the reason for that is because living with one is hard enough amen and i say that confidently because my wife is not in the service he said, look, if, if he captures many wives, if he has a bunch of wives, those wives are going to lead his heart away from me. And if you look at the history of Israel, that's exactly what happened. Solomon had 300 wives and 700 concubines. I mean, what was this dude thinking? And then they led his heart away from God. And the third thing that he says is you can't go back to Egypt. Your king can't lead you backwards, he's got to lead you forward, he's got to lead you onward, he's got to lead you toward me, not back toward the world. And there's a metaphor for our life as Christians that when we come to Christ, that Christ comes in and is the leader and the king of our heart, and he doesn't lead us backward to where we were in our old life, he leads us forward, onward in Christ and in ever-increasing levels of glory in Jesus' name. So that's the king, the king has to do that, but then He gives this stipulation about the king. And here I want you to look with me what it says in verse 18 of Deuteronomy 17. And when your king sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself a book, a copy of this law, approved by the Levitical priest. Now, I want you to notice what God's saying. I want your king to write out the Bible. I want him to be so intimate with my word that he is completely absorbed in it. And I want what he writes down to be approved by the priests. Right here in Deuteronomy 17, God establishes checks and balances. By the way, if you look at the history of our nation and how our government is set up, there is so much that comes from the scriptures It'll blow your mind. The system of checks and balances, the fact that there's a judicial system that's separate from the legislative system, that's separate from the executive system, and all three check and balance each other out. It comes from the word. Here the king is not supposed to just write out the book as he sees fit. He's got to get approval from the priest. And then once he has that approval, it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law, these statutes, and doing, him, doing them. That his heart may be not lifted up above his brothers, and that he may not turn aside from the commandment, either to the right hand or to the left, so that he may continue long in his kingdom, and he and his children in Israel. Notice this last command. The one who rules, he's got to know the word. He's got to love the word. He's got to be involved in learning about it, fearing God, honoring God, obeying God, listening to God. The first thing the king should listen to is the word of God. And this is how God wants his king to rule. God has these stipulations laid out. So God appoints a king for Israel and that king has to be all about God's word. So this is the crux of the matter. God rules. God appoints those who rule. Number three, in America, God has given us ruling authority. We are a democracy. We are not a monarchy. We are not an oligarchy. We are a democracy. Do you know what that means? That means demo which means people. Krasi, which is from the word kratos in Greek, which means rule. It is the rule of the people. Our nation is ruled by us. Now, we are not a pure democracy, which means majority rules. We are a republic democracy. And by being a republic democracy means that we elect officials to represent us to vote on issues that apply to us. And so we, you, and me, we've been given authority by God to direct the affairs of this nation. If we are the, for lack of a better term, if we are the rulers of this nation, then we have a responsibility by God to be in the Word, to know the Word, to listen to what God thinks about issues. To know what God says about life and death. To know what God says about marriage and health and finances and and debt and all these issues that are being thrown at you in this season of election. And to know what God says and then to elect officials that represent the values of our God. Do you understand what's going on here? We live in this beautiful, wonderful country. I think about the privilege of this country, that we get to elect our officials every two years for our congressmen and congresswomen, every six years for our senators, every four years for our president, and at the most, eight years. Do you, do you realize that even if you don't like who's in office, the longest that you got to live with the doofus is eight years? <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? I mean, really, this could be Cuba? This could be Venezuela. Look what happens in their elections every year. It looks like the guy's going to lose and his cronies come in and tear up all the ballots and he wins again. It's just an amazing gift that we've been given. And here's what I'm trying to tell you. American Christians, people of Waters Church, even on a local level right here, right in this place, you have a God-given responsibility to rule wisely. That's number four we have it we have this responsibility we have this opportunity to say listen government this is not right and if you don't do what is right we will not vote you in and we have to understand this is a holy responsibility this is a God-given responsibility this is a momentous responsibility that's why I said you better vote Absolutely. Now, we've called this series Vote for Jesus. I don't literally mean vote for Jesus. I had somebody tell me that they're going to write in Jesus' name in the ballot. I appreciate the sentiment, but that's not going to do anything. All right? We're good with the names on the ballot. Just pick one. But vote for what Jesus would vote for. And it's not my job to tell you who. It's my job to tell you, take it seriously. Appreciate it. Because if this country goes down, if this country abandons the principles of God's word, it will not be the Democrats' fault. It will not be the Republicans' fault. It will be our fault. We, the people of the United States, you've got a holy Responsibility. And then uh, n- number, number two uh, underneath this. We, we don't just got a holy responsibility, but we've got a physical responsibility to actually get involved. To be part of the process. To petition our government for what is right and what is wrong and, and air our disagreement with peacefulness and respect and honor. And so we have this opportunity by God. we got to be people who are engaged in this system. We can't be hunkering down in our little us-for-no-more Christian-comfortable circles. This is is what happens in many churches. I'm a citizen of heaven, so it doesn't matter. This world can go to hell. I'm going to heaven. (laughs) Listen, we're part of this world. We, We are, Jesus said, the salt of the what? Of the earth. We are the light of this world. And if we lose our saltiness, we're no good. What is salt in the New Testament? It was a preservative. They didn't have refrigerators. They didn't have freezers. They would pack their meat with salt. And the salt would preserve the meat so that they could eat it later on. That's what we are. We're preserving this nation. And if we lose our saltiness, if we kiss it off, we say, ah, you know, it's politics. If we just hunker down in our Christian circles and we get into our holy huddles, us four and no more. I mean, this is not the position of Jesus. The position of Jesus is, I love you. I give my life for you. I'm here for you. I'm calling you to myself. I want you to be saved. And as the Father sent Jesus, he sent us. We got a responsibility to engage. Some of you are like, well, both guys stink. Yeah, they do. We've seen enough commercials to know they boasting. But guess what? So do you. So do I. I'll tell you something, if I ran for president, they would turn you on me so fast. <laughs> he shot his dog with a BB gun when he was six years old. And now he wants to have control of the, of the army. I mean, seriously. No, I didn't shoot my dog when I was six years <laughs> old. I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just saying. Of course we're choosing the lesser of two evils. Because in every heart there is evil. But we don't kiss it off. We don't say, ah, oh, no, never mind. It's just politics. It all stinks. Because we should have Christians running for selectmen in our, in our towns. We should have Christians running for the school committee. Engaging in the process. Hey, look, I love the idea of people saying, God's called me to be a pastor. Wonderful, God's called you to be a pastor. But there are some of you, God has called you to be a politician and a Christian politician. There are some of you, God has called you to be a public school teacher and to be a great public school teacher. Listen, it's time for the church to stop running away from the public school system and it's time to get back in the public school system and change the public school system from the inside out because we're the salt of the earth. I say this in love, but there are too many Christians that just freak out about the schools. Ah, ah. Do you not read the word? Do you not understand that God rules? That he is in charge? That even if you don't see him, the Bible says, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. There is no one that can touch you when you are in Christ. And you stand in the authority of Jesus and right where you are. I'm so glad we have public school teachers in this church. I'm so glad we got business owners in this church. I'm so glad we got people who want to be lawyers and doctors and technicians and IT guys. Get involved in the world and be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And hold your elected representatives accountable to God's word. This is our nation. If it goes down on our watch, shame on us. You know who's running for office. Vote for the one who best represents the values of God's word. Number two, don't get frustrated. Don't get frustrated. I'm sorry, we're on number three. Don't get frustrated. I know some of you, oh, it's just frustrating, Pastor. I'm just burnt out by the whole thing. I'm done with it. Of course it's frustrating. Listen, anything having to do with working with people, <laughs> some of you know where I'm going with this, it's frustrating. You can't get frustrated with people The people are frustrating. You're frustrating. This church is frustrating for me sometimes. Do I run and go? No, I stick it out. I stay the course. I'm here for the long haul, baby. Let's go. Let's change the world. People are frustrating. You know that. Ask my wife. She'll tell you, Patrick Tim, he's very frustrating. <laughs> I'm very frustrating. You get the good me. She gets the bad me. We're all frustrating in some ways. Politicians are frustrating. The process is frustrating. But at the same time, if we give up, if we just and walk away, it's on us. This is a divine appointment. We've we've been given an opportunity to change our world and transform this nation. Vote for your Christian values. Look it up. Some of you are going to have to do some research tonight on the Internet. Tomorrow. See what they stand for. I'm so proud of one guy. I know he's a good friend of mine, Jeff Bailey. He's running for state senate. Vote for him. He's a godly man. That's that's the only endorsement I'm giving, by the way. (laughs) But he's a man of God with Christian principles, loves Jesus, loves God, wants to change our state. Our state needs Jesus. This is the power of the Christian gospel, you see. The power of the Christian gospel is it doesn't come from the top down. It comes from the heart out. And God doesn't work in our nation through legislation. You understand what I'm saying? He works through our hearts changed. Finally, don't get frustrated, number, th- number four, do everything that we can. This is our job. Do everything that we can to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're going to see this nation changed. I know where it's going to happen. It's going to happen in the churches, the churches of Jesus Christ, where the gospel is preached and hearts are changed. Lives are transformed. We got eight people sign up for baptism in this church for the next weekend. And we're so excited about the fact that in Waters Church, every single week it seems somebody's life is changed and transformed through the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm asking you to help us preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm asking you to give to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm asking you to serve in this church in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because here's the deal. Laws do not change anybody. We understand this? We all know this. This is why, by the way, there are so many laws on the books. Because we just the more we walk away from God, the more we become illegal in so many ways. And disrespectful of other people. And so, what does our government do? Our government pass laws, and we pass laws, and people break the laws. Laws don't change people. Old Testament's proof positive of this. 613 laws. 613. And they were crazy laws. How to sow your seed in the field. What time of day to reap your harvest. How to wash your goat. How to cook your chicken. How to do that? I mean, all these laws. Don't eat shellfish. Don't eat horses. Eat goats. Eat that. I mean, all these different laws. How long a woman should stay in bed after she gives birth to a boy? How long a woman should stay in bed after she gives birth to a girl? All these ridiculous laws. And all the law does is show us how off we are. That's all the law does. It shows us how we cannot live up to God's expectations. So what happens? Jesus comes. Changes our hearts from the inside out. Ezekiel 36, 26, I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit within you. How does that happen? It doesn't happen by laws because we automatically think about the law that we shouldn't do, and immediately we want to break the law. Anybody who has a child knows this. My child, my, my youngest now, he's 10 months old, little Jakey. Oh, man, is he giving us a fit right now. He, we have this living room, and, and then right off the living room is our bedroom, and, and, and in our bedroom is the iron and all the bad stuff we don't want him getting into, and he'll, like, crawl over to the bedroom threshold, and he knows he shouldn't go in there, and he'll just sit on the threshold for a minute, and then he'll look at us, and my wife will say, no, Jakey, no, Jakey, and he'll do this thing. He'll look. He'll smile, and then he'll scurry right on into the bedroom, <laughs> It's like, that's how it happens, though, right? Because as soon as we see what we shouldn't do, it's like, why shouldn't we do what we shouldn't do? I want to know what we should do. Why, why, Why we shouldn't do what we should. We have this obsession with folly. The Bible says, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of discipline will drive it far from him. Foolishness is bound up in all our hearts. Um. Yesterday, somebody asked me after the service, Pastor, are you telling me to listen to the government even when they tell me to disobey God? No. No, no, no. There's a difference between obedience and submission. What I am saying is you respect the government and you change the government through the gospel of Jesus Christ. hearts are changed. Lives are changed. If you want a better country. If you want a better state, if you want a better town, if you want a better community, it starts with a better family. And a better family starts with a better heart in each member of the family. So we preach the gospel, people get saved, lives are changed, and our communities and our families and our states and our nation is changed. Are you helping us win people to Jesus? I'm I'm asking you to get on board serve and volunteer be a part of the process love the people of god get into a small group serve one another help one another it's one heart at a time that this nation will be changed so that we can still be the shining city on a hill that ronald reagan talked about so many decades ago it can happen how does it happen through the gospel of jesus christ amen somebody amen Amen. i want you to stand with me this morning